0: welcome. Well, tonight I get the privilege of speaking to us on this series called The Prequel. And for us as an evening congregation, we've been looking at how it is that the Old Testament is a, a type, a shadow, a picture of what was to come when Jesus Christ came into the world. And so tonight we're going to be taking a view of, taking a look at uh, the role of priests in the Old Testament and how they served God by making a way for people to be able to get right with God. But what we'll find as we look at this series, is, uh, look at this talk tonight, is that there's a lot of symbolism. And we go, oh, yeah, symbolism from the Old Testament. And, and what does all that mean? Well, symbolism has always been part of our lives. Uh, and I'll show you what I mean by that when I bring up these, uh, these pictures. Can, uh, can people tell me what these, these pictures represent? Can somebody tell me what that is? Target, okay. Okay. Yeah, yeah, yeah. What? Yeah, yeah. I knew that. This one? <laughs> Apple. Okay. So here we've got symbols, and behind all of those symbols are stories, aren't they? Uh, if we go back and we look at this, this uh, Nike symbol, um, it used to have the words just do it written underneath it. But after really good marketing, we didn't need to have those words anymore. We just have the tick, and everybody knows that it's Nike. And um, the Nike word actually comes all the way from the Greek days, and it means victory. And that comes back from a time when uh, the Persians were fighting the Greeks, and uh, a runner went all the way back to Athens to announce that the victory had been won over the Persians. And apparently, I, think, I, think, I don't think I'm mixing my stories here, but I think the story is that he ran the distance of the marathon and uh, died, okay? But he cried out, Nike, and croaked, okay? So he said, victory, they'd beaten the Persians. So a lot of these symbols here have a lot to tell us, um, and they drag out things have their own story, don't they? We've got the, the Olympic rings, and if you just put that up on a, On a board like this, and just show somebody that you could talk all day, or probably for a week, about the Olympics, couldn't you? Just by seeing that symbol, it sparks a conversation. Okay, and and over here you could talk about where you were raised, and um, and how you were fed, okay, and your favorite favorite food, or getting brain freezes, drink drinking slushies. Everybody done that? Yeah, I did. Feels like someone sticks a nail through your head. So got all of these symbols. And so what I want to do tonight is start building a picture of how the symbols and the roles of the priests started to emerge in and through the story of the Old Testament and then how it breaks out and starts to build a picture of whom Jesus is as we start getting closer to Easter. So I'm going to do this in a bit of an unusual way. I want to tell some stories. I want to show you some pictures. And uh, in doing this, I want to be able to just build up your understanding in a very simple and clear way of the role of Jesus and why it is that he came to die for us and what was significant and symbolic is that word, what was symbolic about this. So we're going to start by starting in the New Testament because there's a great little story there of temple life. Before Jesus was born, his cousin, John the Baptist, we see his family and we hear about him and how he was conceived in a, in a sovereign way. So this is how this story rolls. It's about John the Baptist, and his father, Zechariah. They had been trying to have a child, Zechariah and Elizabeth, for all of their lives. And now they were old and they'd seen that they weren't going to have children. This was their their sort of final resting place on this. they realized they weren't going to have children. Uh, But however, they were faithful people and they honored God. And Zechariah was asked to go and to make a sacrifice in the temple, Okay and in doing so he had an encounter with God. So I want to I want us to read this and then we're going to have a look at this picture of the temple. It says here, "Once when Zechariah's division was on duty and he was serving as priest before God, he was chosen by lot, that means like like rolling a dice, according to the custom of the priesthood, to go into the temple of the Lord and burn incense. And when the time for burning of incense came, all the assembled worshipers were praying outside." Okay? So here is a picture of a a high priest going into a a temple. Okay, we're going to simplify this. See, it is a temple. And in doing so, he went in there to present an offering to God. In this case, it was an incense offering. Now, what I'm going to do is take you to uh, Jerusalem and I want to show you a picture of something of what happened in this temple. Here you've got Uh, pretty obvious, steps go up, you go through the doors. And this was the area here where people could worship. But in behind this big curtain here was a place called the Holy of Holies. And only once a year could a high priest go in there and make a sacrifice of a blood, sacrifice of an animal uh, in that place. And it was deemed to be the dwelling place, place of God. Okay. So it was called the Holy of Holies, and it was behind this huge curtain here. Now, this curtain, to put it in perspective, is 60 feet or 20 meters high, so that would be twice as high as this building, all right? And the curtain itself was 120 millimeters thick. So it took quite a few knitting bees to, for the ladies of the, of the temple to knit this thing, all right? But it was it was massive. And it was a symbol of the separation that existed between God and his people. And I'm going to explain in a little bit more detail soon how it is that a priest would prepare himself before he went into this holy place as a a priest. So let's have a look a little bit more at Zechariah's story. So he's gone into this holy place. It says, Then an angel of the Lord appeared to him. Doesn't happen very often. Standing at the right of the altar of incense. And when Zechariah saw him, he was startled and was gripped with fear. No kidding. But the angel said to him, Do not be afraid, Zechariah. Your prayer has been heard. Your wife Elizabeth will bear you a son, and you are to call him John. Zechariah asked the angel, How can I be sure of this? I'm an old man, and my wife is well along in years. The angel said to him, I'm Gabriel, I stand in the presence of God and I have been sent to speak to you and to tell you this good news. And now you will be silent and not be able to speak until the day this happens because you did not believe my words which will come true at their appointed time. Okay, so what we've got here in this New Testament story is this, this child who's being born to essentially barren parents, Okay, parents who've never had children. And uh, so this is is a miracle that's about to take place. Zechariah just couldn't believe what he was hearing. And to prove that what he was hearing was right, the angel struck him dumb, and so he couldn't speak. And it wasn't until the baby boy was born, and at the naming ceremony, eight days after his birth, they said, what should we name him? And the first words that came out of his mouth were, John. And everybody was in awe, the story tells us, of this event. Pretty amazing story, isn't it? And so the reason why I raise this is because um, this is a picture of this holiness that is going on and behind the temple. It's a place of not only God's presence, but a place of visitation. In fact, tradition tells us that um, when a high priest would go into this area here, in through into the Holy of Holies back here. Tradition tells us, and um, some of the older writings from the Jewish traditions tell us that a, a rope was put around the leg of the high priest. The idea being that when he went in to make this sacrifice, uh, if he was in a really bad place, like if he had sin in his life, if he hadn't prepared himself well, the expectation is that he'd get struck dead. Now, when your high priest gets struck dead, you don't just call the ambulance and whip him there and grab him. Because God's dealing to him. God's meant business with this guy. He struck him dead. And so the idea is if he didn't come out after a while, the boys would pull him out, you know? I don't know. would have been quite spectacular as he went dunk, dunk, dunk down the stairs. But the whole idea was to acknowledge that this was a holy place, the dwelling place of God, all right? So you can see the symbolism here. We can see the picture. We can see how serious they took it. And so we have so much of the way the Jews and the Old Testament life of religious worship was built around this form of sacrifice. Now, one of the things that uh, I want to be able to talk about tonight is, is how in other times of sacrifice and other times of worship, what actually occurred was that animals were brought into the temple to be made sacrifices for sin. And if you have time on your hands, you can read through the book of Leviticus. It's one of the earlier books of the Bible, and it explains in great detail how these this temple, originally it was a tent, not a physical building, like, but a tent, and how that was used to make sacrifices before the Lord. One of the things that I'll describe to you now is the is this Feast of Atonement. The Feast of Atonement went like this. The people all gathered, and uh, atonement is when the high priest would go and make a sacrifice for the whole nation of Israel. All right? And the word atonement might sound like a big word, but if you break it down, it's like this. it's You spell it at-one-ment. All right? So God is wanting to be at one with you. Does it, help? Does it help at all? at one mint, all right. So this is the, the sacrifice of at one mint. It's just a play on words, the English word, but it, it helps dumb people like me to sort of understand what's going on here. So what would happen is the people of the nation would gather and there would be a sacrifice. The first sacrifice was to cleanse the sin of the high priest because this high priest is going to go behind this curtain and go into a place this holy of holies, and he is going to make a sacrifice of blood for the people of God. So if he's going to go into the presence of God, he needs to get his own life right first. He needs to get his sins paid for. And so the first thing that was brought in was a bull. And the bull was slaughtered. And uh, in very simple terms, um, the blood was shed for him. And he would go in behind the curtain and he would make a blood sacrifice on this altar, put blood on this altar and that would pay for his sin. Okay. So now the priest is in a place where he is holy. He's now operating in a very sacred place. He's been deemed to be pure, cleansed of all his sin. He would come out and then what would happen is two goats would be brought into the temple and, uh, And there would be lots cast, basically a toss of a coin, and one goat would be chosen over the other. The first goat would be a sacrifice, and its blood sacrificed for the sins of the people. The second goat would have a red ribbon tied around its neck, and it would be taken by another priest way out into the desert and released out into the desert. And that was a symbol of how the sins of the nation have been cast out into the desert. right, does that make sense? Yeah. And so with this other goat, unfortunately lost the raffle. Uh, It didn't last very long. It was slaughtered. And then the high priest would go and take this blood and he would go back into the holy place again and he would put a sacrifice there of the blood for the sins of the nation. Okay? So as we can see, this is a very sacred event It's a very holy event. It's a very messy event, all right? And so this would happen year after year after year. And in doing so, um, it became the symbol of everything about the relationship with God. It was a symbol of God being holy, which he is, of us being sinful and needing forgiveness, and reconciliation with God. It was also a symbol of a priest, a high priest, having to stand in between us and God. Okay, a priest would serve that role, set apart to actually come and pray on our behalf, to make a sacrifice for us. Let me uh, just show you what I mean by the book of Leviticus. It says here, in this way, he will make atonement for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and the rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. He is doing the same for the tent of meeting, which is among them in the midst of their uncleanness. Now, we didn't need the end of that scripture, probably, but it says, in this way, he will make atonement at one mint for the most holy place because of the uncleanness and rebellion of the Israelites, whatever their sins have been. Let's just stop there. So this is a way of cleansing all sin. One of the things that happened when this goat was released into the desert is that the priest would literally take his hands and put it on the head of the goat and he would stand there and he would confess the sins of the nation. Okay, now that might take a while, but more about the big sins. You know, we have been unfaithful. We have, we have sacrificed some of us to, to false gods or those sorts of things. We have been disobedient and listening to you, but it was always about the sacrifice of the people being put the, the, sorry, the sins of the people being put onto the goat and the sacrifice is then the, the life of that goat. So this is the imagery that Jesus was brought into. These are the symbols, the signs, the ways, the traditions of how sin was dealt with. And so I just want you to try to picture what that would be like for us here. If we were living in pre-New Testament times, um, I would have my Old Testament scrolls and one of the big things that I'd carry would be a knife. And uh, I'd say, anybody want to confess their sins? I want you to bring a a young lamb, a sheep, a goat, some pigeons, and we'll bring them to the altar. You'd put your hands on them, and any time at any time of the year, you could come and confess your sins. And as the priest, I would cut the throat of that animal, and its blood would be spilt. And then, more often than not, that that animal was was uh, then put on a, a fire, okay, as a as an offering of incense, an offering to God. Uh, not all the animal was, was uh, used as sacrifice. I'm starting to get a little bit more specific here, but some of the bigger animals were uh, used to feed the priests. <laughs> uh, some were taken to the local butcher and sold on. But that's how the process worked. So you can imagine that... Uh, it's a pretty messy business, right? Yeah. Who'd be wanting to line up to be a priest in those days, eh? The interesting thing is that at the age of 50, a priest had to resign. Uh, because at the age of 50, it all got a bit heavy. Because not only were you having to lug big animals around after they have been sacrificed, but somebody had to get the wood to burn these things too. So you had a knife in one hand and an uh, axe in the other for chopping down the trees. It was pretty tough and rough business. But it focused that community and it told the story of how God is so totally other than us. He is so holy. He's separated from us. He's just not a big human. He is so totally different. And this is the relationship that God wanted to, to, for us to see. So now let's go into the New Testament. And we have the most iconic image, of course, of the whole of our relationship with God. And that is picture of Christ crucified. Okay, so this is the powerful image, isn't it, of the New Testament. And here we are told that Christ came and he shed his blood for us, making a sacrifice once and for all. And in doing so, he replaced the whole system of the temple, the whole system of the temple. So we no longer need to sacrifice animals. What we, though, do is appeal to Christ to forgive us, and he has freely done that by shedding his own blood. Okay, So by faith, we are asking Christ uh, to, to count us in to his sacrifice. You know, So before the foundation of the world, he had us in his heart, had us in his mind, but as he is dying on that cross 2,000 years ago, He was dying at that point for your sins and for mine. But it gets better. There are these little verses in Luke's Gospel, Matthew's Gospel, sorry, and I'll show you them and how significant they are. This is when Jesus died. It said, And when Jesus had cried out again in a loud voice, he gave up his spirit. At that moment, the curtain of the temple was torn in two from top to bottom, The earth shook, the rocks split. Okay, so Jesus has now died. He's given up his spirit. But something crazy has happened in the temple itself, in Jerusalem. Remember I showed you that picture before of that big curtain, that 20-meter curtain? What's happened here as a symbol of the work that has happened by Christ dying on the cross for us, that curtain, for no good reason, splits from top to bottom, 20 meters, 120 millimeters thick. And it rips in two. And so, all of a sudden, that holy place is now exposed to everybody. Most people had never seen this holy place, this dwelling place of God. So, now the whole world has changed. The nature of our worship has changed because it's Jesus' blood that has been shed, and that has become a symbolic picture of the blood of goats and the blood of sheep and the blood of animals on the altar of sacrifice in the holy place. It's Christ's own blood that has been shed there now for us. And so therefore the curtain is no longer needed because he has made a way once for all, for all of us. And there is no need now for a high priest to come and make a sacrifice for you to shed that blood. Jesus himself has become the high priest who for you and for me has gone once and for all into that heavenly temple and shed his blood powerful images aren't they powerful symbols a better story than Nike yeah so let's have a look at what Hebrews has to say to us the book of Hebrews Hebrews is one of those books that you sort of read because you feel like you have to if you want to read the Old, uh, the New Testament How many of you read through the book of Hebrews before? Yeah? It's a difficult book to understand unless you know the Old Testament story. But let me take some part of this Hebrews book and you can see it now in its simplicity for what it is. It says here, but when the Messiah, high priest, oh, sorry, when the Messiah arrived, high priest of the superior things of this new covenant, He bypassed the old tent and its trappings in this created world and went straight into heaven's tent, the true holy place, once and for all. He also bypassed the sacrifices consisting of goat and calf blood, instead using his own blood as the price to set us free, once and for all. If that animal blood and the other rituals of purification were effective, in cleaning up certain matters of our religion and behavior, think how much more the blood of Christ cleans up our whole lives inside and out. Through the Spirit, Christ offered himself as an unblemished sacrifice, freeing us from all those dead-end efforts to make ourselves respectable so that we can live all out for God. Okay? That's from the Message Translation. And uh, it's helpful because it just simply says what I've been explaining, I hope. I hope that made sense to you. If what I've explained to you makes sense, this will make sense. This will make sense. So what we've got now is a whole new covenant. Um, Essentially, that's what the New Testament is all about. When we read Scripture, we've got the beginning of uh, this, this story, begins with Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John. That's the New Testament. This is a new covenant. A covenant is an arrangement that is made between God and man, or between two parties, but in this case between God and us. And that new covenant says that we don't need to sacrifice animals anymore, which is good. That's right, eh? You like that idea. So you can even be vegan for Jesus, all right? But the whole idea here is that this sacrifice was made once and for all, And it doesn't need to be repeated because he's gone into that holy place, that heavenly, heavenly holy place. And it's his blood that has been used to pay the price for our sins. And uh, one other scripture says here, day after day, every priest stands and performs his religious duties. Again and again, he offers the same sacrifices, which can never take away sins. But when this priest has offered for all time one sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. This is Jesus. And since that time, he waits for his enemies to be made his footstool. So he has won the victory over sin. He has won the victory over death. And now he's waiting for that victory to be applied again and again and again until his enemies become his footstool. Okay? Because the thing about the world that we live in, Christ has won the victory, but that victory is being applied again and again to every generation, every generation around the world, until it's all wrapped up in a place of peace, when his enemies become his footstool. You see the imagery there? Yeah, it's good, isn't it? So tonight we're we're going to take communion. And again, we're going to pick up on some very familiar scriptures out of the Gospels, out of Luke's Gospel, in fact. But we'll be able to see now, maybe with a little bit more richness and a little bit more depth, the symbols of our communion service through the eyes of the Old Testament, the this, this symbol of passage that was used to bring Christ to us and help us understand what his, his death and uh, forgiveness brings to us. So here we are now tonight, Um, I want you to just sort of think of this, where we are, we're in the upper room now, this is the night before Jesus was betrayed and crucified, and uh, he's talking to his disciples, and he uses the same imagery that we've been talking about tonight. When the hour came, Jesus and his apostles reclined at the table, and he said to them, after the supper he took the cup saying this is this cup is the new covenant in my blood which is poured out for you so here we see these images of of a broken body and blood being spilt again that last that last line this blood this new covenant which is poured out for you so here Jesus is describing the journey he's about to go on as he's going to leave the supper room be arrested put on trial And ultimately crucified, he is saying, here is this journey that I'm going on. My blood is going to be poured out, just like a sacrifice of an animal, for you. And so he sets up this meal, a meal of remembrance, where we can join in not only a tradition of Christian followers, but essentially a tradition that goes back thousands of years before that a time when we can recognise that blood was spilt to pay the price for our sins. And so this is a a continuity, if you like, of how it is that God has made himself uh, available to us by allowing us to have our sins forgiven. So tonight, we're just going to... um, I think we've got a little bit of music, I think. Yeah, it's all happening. The team's going to come through. Um, And uh, I'm going to invite you to... uh, Take the bread and the and the wine, the, the juice, and I want you to just to stop for a season, stop for a few moments, and um, reflect upon where we've come from in this meal. What we've talked about tonight is, is the death of animals, we've talked about sacrifices, we've talked about holy places. And in doing this, I want you tonight to think about what Christ has done for us in light of all that was spoken about, of temple sacrifices, of the price that the animals had to pay for your sin and mine, of the price on the cross that Christ paid for your sin and mine. And to recognize with gratefulness that uh, this is a once and for all deal, that we don't need to have the blood of animals, we have the blood of Christ that has paid the price of our sin. So let me pray. Lord, as we look back through the pages of scripture, we see this ongoing theme of how it is that you want to restore a relationship with us. It's so easy for us to dismiss the sin in our lives and say, oh, it's it's nothing really. But when we're confronted with the fact that before Christ, animals paid the price of death for our sins, and then when we see Jesus himself being nailed to a cross, we we all of a sudden wake up to the fact that sin means a lot. It cannot be easily dismissed. And when we think of whom you are, God, represented in this holy place in the temple, a place that people would approach with fear and reverence because your presence was so powerful. And so we now get to approach you, Lord, we can enter boldly into that holy place. Because Jesus, you have become our high priest and you have laid your own blood on the altar to pay the price for our freedom. So Lord, we approach you tonight with a deep love, a deep honour and respect and a fear, a fear of remembrance of what has been paid for us to be able to do this. So we thank you for this tonight. In the name of Jesus, amen.